Hello! Today we have a very special episode. We have a replay from one of the previous cyber marketing cons, the conference held on by the Cybersecurity Marketing Society for cybersecurity marketers and by cybersecurity marketers. We hope to see you in Austin, Texas this year at Cyber Marketing Con 2023. Mark those calendars and get those tickets. December 10th through 13th is going to be an amazing couple days full of education, the best speakers around, hands-on workshops, networking, 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 and of course, some patented cybersecurity marketing society fun. You gotta come and Maria and I cannot wait to see you. Enjoy this episode and see you in Austin in December. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to my session, Three Categories of Competitive Intelligence Every Cyber Marketer Should Know. Happy to be here in person presenting. I don't remember the last time I did this to a group of folks that like didn't work at the same company as me. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I probably have maybe about 20, 30 minutes of content, so I'm going to try and make it a little bit more interactive for those of you that have questions, um, if you want to chat through some of this stuff while, while we're going through. I'll walk you through how that looks, and then at the end, we'll have time for, for Q&A also. I think we have 50 minutes or an hour or something, so we got plenty of time. So a little bit about me. So my name's Alex. Nice to meet you all. Um, I work at a startup company called Legit Security. I like to think it's the best, most legit name in cybersecurity. <laughs> it does suck sometimes on cold outreach when you're calling those CISOs and where are you from? Legit Security. Sounds kind of scammy. But on the other side, we just have shirts at like a conference like Black Hat that say Legit Security or a brand name on it, and people want them. Like, some don't know it's for real, something might be a joke, and then folks like it. It's kind of interesting. Before that, I was uh, at a company called Ping Identity. It's in the identity and access management space. I don't know how many of you all are familiar, but I'm willing to bet that you're probably familiar with one of our biggest competitors, which was Okta, um, and another one of our big, huge competitors, which was Microsoft. So I learned a whole lot about competitive, um, more than I ever want to know during that time. So I'll share a lot of those experiences, and I will kind of share... Um, that's like kind of larger company, publicly traded, and there's stuff that's different about startups, so I'll share some of that too. Like right now, we're, we're tiny. We just raised our Series A in the beginning of this year. I think February, we launched out of Stealth. So that let's go ahead and, and get started. So as a marketer, I came up with new words to use um, for this presentation. And so one is what I call squeaky wheel syndrome. Could be an executive, could be an account executive, could be a sales engineer. They just won't shut up about a certain competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, we got a uh-huh right here. Okay, so sounds like this resonating a little bit. Um, we also have, we just lost itis. This again could be kind of that same uh, category of people. Uh, might be the same person. Uh, you know, sometimes this happens at once. Why do I bring this up? Well, on the marketing side, and I'm, I'm on the product marketing side even more specifically, it's what do we do with this information? Hey, we just lost a deal. Should we do anything about it? I don't know. Someone's complaining about how we compare to someone else. Should we do something about it? I don't know. So the point of this presentation is kind of to help you understand what to do with these sorts of folks. Hopefully none of you are too much one of these folks yourselves. <laughs> but if, if you are, it's okay. Also, the big takeaway here is like in isolation, to me, this is just noise. You shouldn't kind of react and spend so much of your company's resources, your precious time, um, to just react because someone said something somewhere. The thing is that you get enough squeaky wheels, <laughs> you lose enough deals, and now it's a pattern, and that's a big problem. 
So I'll talk to you kind of some frameworks that I use to kind of figure that out. But, but essentially the point is, hey, how can you, instead of being reactionary, which oftentimes on the marketing front, you know, you're a little bit further away from deals, you're a little bit further away from the technology, you just kind of are tasked with trusting that someone knows what they're talking about. And I'm kind of saying, hey, they might, they might not, but in marketing, you get a good vantage point of hearing a bunch of stuff from different people. Um, it also helps with segmentation a little bit. So maybe it's a commercial segment AE or SMB AE that's complaining about someone, but your enterprise AEs aren't, right? And so these are like classic marketing problems of do we even care as a company that we're losing the small and medium-sized businesses when we're winning at like Fortune 500 companies? And so kind of putting that in priority. Hi there, my name is Sean Madsen, and I head up digital strategy at Checkpoint Software. We use Hushly as our primary demand platform. We use it to remove gates, we use it for our landing pages, and we use it for our resource hub. And it has improved our conversion rate by 5x. So there's three categories. So we'll jump jump to the overview right now and essentially how today's gonna work. I'm gonna spend more time on marketing because we're in a marketing conference. Since this is cybersecurity specific, like my background that I'm sharing, so I'll dive into some of those like specific companies. I couldn't do that before. I presented a version of this at a product marketing conference. We're gonna talk about business competitive analysis, which to me kind of helps you do more upfront to essentially free up the resources you need to focus and prioritize, right? What is it Nate from Exonia said this morning? So you can figure out who to willingly not, like consciously not care about as much. Um, and lastly, we'll talk about technical. It's basically just, you know, the product's feature function comparison matrices. I'm going to spend the least amount of time talking about this. One, because I assume most of you are most familiar with this. This is kind of the default assumption when someone says competitive intelligence. They're like, do you do X and do they do X? Do you do Y? Do they do Y? Why don't you do Z? Any questions on that so far? All right, cool. Let's do it this way. I'm going to jump into kind of explaining how I'm defining what this is. Essentially, like from an operationalizing perspective, like who, who should do it? I'm going to use kind of the roles and just know like, again, from my experience, kind of being larger companies and smaller companies, sometimes those roles are merged, right? When his marketing team is a team of one, <laughs> then you are product marketing, you are content marketing, you are demand gen. Right? When you're a team of 50, then you have some more kind of specialty areas. Right? Uh, I'm going to talk about where to borrow, um, ask for, and maybe even demand resources from other teams that might not be in marketing to make this more effective. Again, like cybersecurity is super technical. It goes super deep. There's folks that have been doing this stuff for decades. You know, new marketer comes into new company. How are you expected to know this stuff? Um, well, you borrow from subject matter experts. And where might they live? right, in the company? Who might you want to talk to, make friends with, build relationships with, that sort of thing. So with that, let's get started. Um, so marketing competitive intelligence is basically just understanding the marketing strategies and tactics that your competitors are deploying. So as a very simple example, let's take what we saw in the, in the keynote today from Exonius, right? They have vendors they compete with. I'm not super familiar with, with their space, but they absolutely have competitors. If I'm Exonius's competitor, I want to at least take note that Exonius has a strong brand. <laughs> maybe I care that they got Simone Biles, maybe I don't, but they got a, a big speaker. And I'm just kind of like relatively knowledgeable, kind of know what they're doing. It has nothing to do with the technology, just from like a marketing strategy and tactics perspective. So I feel like in the group room full of marketers, this one often kind of just 
falls by the wayside because of everyone's kind of thinking technical, right? Like what features and functions. And there's a lot to learn here. So I absolutely think marketing should should lead it. I think specifically if you have someone product marketing your team or kind of that's the role it falls under to, to lead, but the rest of marketing should contribute as well. So what, I, what do I mean by that? I mean, um, are there any field marketers, like events marketers in the room? Oh, awesome. So you go to events <laughs> all year long. Cybersecurity, so maybe you go to RSA conference, you go to Black Hat, big, huge, super expensive events if you haven't gone. It's almost like an amusement park when you go to the exhibitor, the exhibitor hall. There's a level of competitive analysis you could do in regards to, hey, they, they're placing a, they're spending a whole lot of money at RSA conference, and we're not. Notice I'm not making any judgments on what you should do about it, but just capturing that information is really helpful. It could be because they want to make a big brand splash. It could be because they're actually seeing ROI on it. We don't know, but maybe it's worth an experiment. Any sort of digital marketers in here, maybe like search engine optimization, paid search people, yeah. Cool, so, so I used to be a digital marketing guy on the agency side, and I always like to joke that you're competing for real estate on the search engines, right? Oftentimes, when you want to rank for attack surface management or identity and access management security, you're not actually even competing with your other technology vendors. A lot, a lot of times, I think probably everyone in this room is competing with like G2 Crowd for, for that number one ranking on like what vendor space. So again, kind of thinking from a marketing perspective, who are you competing with for attention? When we get into the business, I'll talk a little bit about why this matters to strategy so much, but it starts on like the execution on the tactics. One other one that like, like I'm seeing right now in my current, current role is so, well, to share with you all, so my previous company and this company, it sounds like webinars are really good tactic. So one level of analysis, hey, are we running webinars? Are they running webinars? Should we or should we not? Okay, so Ryan, currently we're running webinars. Then it comes to like, well, what is the topic of those webinars? You could do a competitive analysis along that that framework if you're the person producing content. What I care about a lot, um, kind of came out a little bit with the uh, CISO panel we had earlier, is who is the speaker on those webinars? So like I said, I'm in a company called Legit Security. It's a new kind of emerging category. There's a whole lot of education that has to happen. Um, but at the same time, who are the CISOs and the security folks gonna trust? They're gonna trust a product marketing manager? Maybe. <laughs> Um, the analytics in my past, maybe I'm just a horrible speaker, but like anytime we put product marketing, like the uh, attendance and conversion from those webinars was less than if we put like a product manager, for example, which was less than if we put, for example, a customer speaker, right? So based on that experience, I kind of have like a tiering system of what's the quality of speaker we can get first and foremost, and then what kind of content can we present based on the speaker? So that's just like what, what I've seen works for, for me, for us. But let's go through this. Like um, there's a competitor um, in our space called Psycode. So legit security versus Psycode. They uh, use one webinar channel that we've tried that we didn't see much success for, uh, success from like ROI wise. We see them using it religiously. <laughs> every single month on a TechStrong Security Boulevard webinar. So we, we're trying different channels. They're going, they're kind of watching that to say, hey, should we return to it? Are they doing something that we're not doing? Um, what might be there? Then from customer speakers. So like when I started, I started a year ago, this company is super technical. Like I thought my previous company was technical. This is essentially securing development pipelines. So you have to know enough about the development pipelines and then what's wrong with them to then know how to secure them. You had to kind of convey that in concise language, right? 
And so when I first started, you know, I was like, okay, I'll speak on webinars as kind of the product marketing guy. No marketing folks are speaking on any webinars. It's all security research. It's heads of security research. That's who's doing it. So because of that, kind of got buy-in from our CTO and product team to basically co-speak with me, kind of build that credibility. Actually even changed um, my title for purposes of webinars. I became a, the space I'm in is called Software Supply Chain Security. Changed the name to Software Supply Chain Security Advocate. <laughs> because again, like marketing as a title, uh, we found it scares away like our audience. So why does this matter? Why are we talking about this in a competitive presentation? Well, fast forward today, we have a few Fortune 500 company, uh, customers, um, some of which you may know, so like Kraft Heinz, that are, their CISOs are willing to speak on our behalf. So now when we do a competitive um, matrix, and we have a, it's a Tel Aviv-based company, it's, for those of you who don't know, it's a, Tel Aviv culture is like very um, populated in like a dense area, so they all like kind of know each other. <laughs> so there is like, hey, like that guy works down the street, I want to have a better webinar than him. Why aren't we doing this? Um, so in the competitive context, how do you answer that? It's like, so we don't have a kind of breakdown of our products and capabilities yet on our website. Our competitors do. You know what? No one has a customer's breakdown, kind of customer dedicated page. And we're in a startup space, so no one's there yet. So from a feature function, we're the newest entrant. Like the, the next competitor has a year on us, the other one has two years on us. So we'd rather tell the story of look at our customers, our logo profile is really strong, rather than look at our technology. And that's all kind of based on kind of the look and feel, just at a marketing lens, very high level on the technology front. So who else should, should matter on this? I, I'm a big fan of building the relationship with your kind of, uh, say other departments to get inputs while at the same time kind of letting them know kindly that you're not going to react to what they say. So it, it takes some time, but I find it's worthwhile. So you have so many folks in sales and BDRs, you know, they just, they just see so much news and they want to share it with someone. I found like initially before those relationships, the, the almost kind of sentiment behind someone in sales sh sharing with you like something they saw the competitor do that you are not doing is like, you're not doing your job why aren't we doing this? Their marketing is obviously so much better than our marketing because the grass is always greener, right? So once you start kind of building the, the muscle, what I found is, so for example, hey, I got forwarded a webinar from our competitor. To them use that as a, you know, thank you very much, keep sending me this. I knew about it, by the way, they're also here. And that turns into now I get tagged in Slack on competitive insight, not like you're not doing your job, but like, hey, Alex, I know you want to know this. To kind of like fuel the fire. So it becomes more of a, a team sport together, kind of cooperative, than almost like, hey, why aren't we doing this? Which is really hard to react to, especially in, in this case, early stage startup, but all, all cyber is growing so fast and so, so deep. So on that note, I want to jump into a matrix. So you'll see a theme here. I have three matrices for you. My running joke is when in doubt in competitive intelligence, create a matrix and present it. This is going to be a little bit more on the strategic side. I'm going to use a real story from my time at Paying, competing against Okta, competing against Microsoft. Um, how many of you in here know about a company called Auth0? Cool. Yeah, so there's some brand recognition there. So these are all identity and access management space, but, but feel free to kind of insert your own kind of competitive context in it. It'll track. So we have on the left vendor A, B, and C, right? So think Ping Identity, Okta, Microsoft. Then we have different personas. So why do personas matter? Personas matters a whole lot because if you don't know who you're selling to, you don't know who you need to message to, you don't know where they hang out, you don't know where the watering holes are, it kind of informs a lot. So it's kind of like more root strategy, right? 
What we're seeing in cybersecurity is that it's a multi-stakeholder, complicated deal. So not even just the not even just the technology, but also just selling it in the enterprise, right? So uh, we heard our CISOs this morning say they've got to go sell it to their CEOs. In the identity and access management space, um, for those of you that are unfamiliar with identity and access management, if you ever did like single sign-on into your work stuff or multi-factor authentication into your work stuff, that's one use case. The other is, think about every time you've registered for an application, created an account, forgot a password, you know, how to manage your profile, that's also identity and access management, what's called the customer use case. At Ping, I was on the customer use case side of the world. That's even more complicated because essentially, since it's so core infrastructure, you have the chief information officers that, that are a huge stakeholder in that deal. More interestingly, early days, you actually had uh, vendors that sold to marketing or security. And so think about it, right? So it's registrations, account, it's, it's customer acquisition. It's such a core kind of marketing concept. Like, can we get more free trial downloads? But because it's sensitive data, it becomes a security problem. So we were running into competitors, for example, um, they've all been acquired by now, one was called Gigio, one was called Genring, uh, Gigio was acquired by SAP, which I'm sure many of you know, Genring was acquired by Akamai, which many of you might know. Uh, the point is that they were going after marketing teams. And so we'd go into these deals, we'd capture folks, and essentially at Ping, we, we were not <laughs> going after marketing teams, we were going after security folks. And, and you kind of predict who would win and lose that deal based on who's Where's the budget coming from? Is it coming from marketing or from security? So that was early days. And then it kind of moved on to like, hey, it's a security thing. The marketing kind of buyer kind of went away. And you had folks like Auth0 show up though. And this is happening a lot in security with like, let's just go developer first. And when you think about the technology, think that every time someone builds an app, <laughs> inevitably you have to build a way for someone to register for the account to log into that app. Who's doing a lot of identity? Who's one of the biggest competitors that might not be considered on this matrix from a vendor perspective? it was DIY because the developers just have to go build the thing and they don't know that there's tools out there. They didn't until Auth0 came along and said, hey, let's go earlier in the process, build awesome documentation, build a tool for developers. And so why is this interesting? Well, this is interesting because let's take where we were at at Ping Identity. Okay, so at Ping, we historically sold to directors of identity and access management. They had the budget, they bought the tool, it's been that, done that way for decades. I guess they were actually talking about the Gartner hype cycle earlier this morning. For those of you that aren't familiar, basically it's just like kind of tracks the trendiness of the technology. As the technology matured, it got very trendy. It kind of went up, it's called like the slope of enlightenment, I think, on the hype cycle. They have awesome names for things. And uh, essentially what we found was now all of a sudden the CISOs cared. Now all of a sudden the CIOs cared because it was bundled under digital transformation and we had the relationships and we'd win deals and we'd get the champions at the essentially practitioner level. So think like the, the functional leader, not the executive leader. It worked well for a while and then this all of a sudden we start seeing more Microsoft. Microsoft, for those of you who don't know, do a whole lot of schmoozing for CIOs and executives. They actually have at one of their Microsoft Ignite events like a CIO-specific event that I still have not been able to find the details of that event because apparently it's a closely guarded secret of like how you actually get in. When I started doing some competitive uh, analysis on like the marketing side, right, you find that like Okta had their own event, Octane. They have essentially a practitioner track and then they also had an executive track. And so what we started seeing in our deals, we started losing the Okta 
if there was an executive stakeholder involved, because we had no brand, we had no awareness with that executive stakeholder. But um, if it was more kind of like delegated or run by the practitioner level, kind of like one level down, we'd kick their butt like every time. Like I said, Auth0 showed up and then he's like, hey, developers matter. <laughs> so the same thing started happening as, as it all matured. You see, hey, I could kind of predict who's going to win or lose the deal based on who's, who's in the room. The point is, like, none of this is technical. Like, this is all kind of on the marketing front. It's like, who are we talking to and should we? So there was an initiative at Ping. It was, hey, should, should we or should we not go after the developer audience? There's a whole persona. Says, oh, we should. So we did. Um, I kind of hopped into that project later. It wasn't getting a lot of traction. Did one of these kind of competitive audits. And so what did I see? So for our field marketers in the room, developer events is like a different world than security events. So when you go to, um, was it Spring Boot is like a really big developer conference. So when I went and looked at who's sponsoring all these developer conferences, nine times out of 10, Okta, Auth0, you know, there's other players in that space. There's no ping, <laughs> there's no Microsoft. And so we're kind of like wondering like, like why aren't we being effective at selling to that developer audience? And so again, there's no technical there. It's just kind of who's the persona? Why does it matter? It's happening more and more in SaaS because of this developer component. I'll add one more little piece there. And if, uh, how many of you have heard of a company called Sneak, S-N-Y-K? All right, cool. So they're, they're super cool, trendy, Televee, like AppSec company. So AppSec's been around and, and source code composition analysis has been around what, what they're doing like since like the early 2000s, I believe. I just joined the space like a year ago, so I'm, I'm not an expert, so don't quote me on that. Does anyone know what their message is? Like what their go-to-market is or want to guess? Go wear your picture. Dog. <laughs> they got the dog. Okay, so that's funny. Okay, so they got the dog, but who are they, who are they showing that dog to? It's developer-first AppSec. Exactly. So it's developer-first AppSec. Like, it is the core message they have. And through that, they essentially disrupted like uh, an industry that now looks like like old. <laughs> like When you look at the valuations of the companies, like it's insane how much high, more highly Sneak is valued than some of the folks that are bigger and been doing it longer. Right? So the point is, like on the marketing front, right? Like keep your eye out for this sort of thing. It's kind of just surprising a lot of companies at this point. Like Who's buying and should you or shouldn't you? And you don't necessarily, I'm not saying, hey, go after the developer, right? But you need a counter to that argument. Um, in customer identity and access management, what that does is let's uh, inform the sales field. Let's, let's do more marketing around uh, the security persona and how we're developer friendly, because we know that's a, that's a stakeholder they're going to have to deal with, as opposed to just completely not doing anything about it. And now for this week's content tip by Content Workshop. Attention is your audience's most valuable resource. What you're asking your audience for is to surrender their most valuable resource, their attention. There is fierce competition for this resource. Every piece of content you create should take jealous care of something your audience will never get back, their time. Content needs to deliver on the values that you promise. That was another amazing content tip by Content Workshop. Learn more about Content Workshop storytelling services and how they help cybersecurity companies achieve ROI through amazing content and storytelling at contentworkshop.com. On that note, I'm going to do like a pause here. If anyone wants to answer, ask questions on like the marketing competitive intelligence front, let me know. What's after this is kind of the business side, which is maybe a little bit more strategic, and then the technical side, which is like down into the weeds. All right, going once. 
going twice. All right, I'll keep going. All right, so this one, I had to give it a name. And to me, it's something different than the marketing side, something different than the technical side. So I call it business competitive intelligence. I don't know if there's a better word for it, but basically this is one level up. This is understanding at the business level, how companies are operating, what their vision is in the world. To be more strategic about just go to market, business strategy, that sort of thing, but it often falls down on marketing. I'll, I'll throw back again to those of you that saw the, you know, Nathan speak earlier today. Axonius's vision is to be a long-term company to IPO, not to exit by acquisition. So that, that means something. So I can kind of document that, like, hey, that's their business strategy. I, at Ping, we weren't always publicly traded. We IPO'd while I was there. And now all of a sudden we're doing earnings, call for all the, earnings calls for all the world to hear. <laughs> Okta IPO'd, I think the reason that, I think Okta IPO'd the, the year I joined Ping. And so you can go listen into their earnings calls. Cybersecurity is interesting. There's not like a ton of like publicly traded cybersecurity companies, but they seem to be popping up more and more. So that's a really good place to get context like this. So why does that matter? So I mentioned earlier in identity and access management, there were two really core use cases. There was what's called workforce identity and customer identity, right? The single sign-on as an employee versus the logins frictionlessly as a user, as a customer. Well, turns out we are absolutely competing with Okta as a person at Ping because on our earnings call, we're saying, hey, you need one platform to rule them all. You're not gonna specialize in just one. Okta's saying the same thing. They're getting stakeholders excited about the fact that they are doing both. You have other companies in the space, um, like there's a, there's a cool company called Transmit Security out there that does more like one use case than the other, right? So you, so you have these differences and you say, hey, that matters because when you go into deals, when you do messaging, you know, hey, if you're at Ping or Okta, you're leading with a platform message. Like you don't, like, you don't want one of those point solutions and you want a platform if you're at the others, it's the counter argument, right? You want a best of breed, you don't want a platform. You heard the debate earlier today, uh, but you kind of need to know which one you are, which one you aspire to be. This one, I think, I personally think marketing should lead it. Um, I'm in marketing, I'm biased. I think that so many of these things then turn, at, turn into segmentation, targeting, positioning, these really core fun marketing functions that they kind of like filter all into all the tactics that all marketing, you know, marketing does. That said, if you have a really strong kind of market-focused product team, um, oftentimes they're already doing this. So either, you know, they're leading, I, like to me, the best, the best world is that marketing and product actually co-lead this. It, bring, it built a really good muscle. If you're at a startup, usually it's the founding team doing it. Once you get bigger, and so I learned this from experience, uh, once your, your founding CEO gets so busy taking a company public, a gap kind of gets created um, in the org where you need kind of leaders from product and from marketing to step up and kind of like keep the new generation of strategy coming along. One of the other reasons is it just builds credibility when you know this stuff. So someone I think earlier asked um, in one of the other sessions, like how do you get investment? How do you get more, you know, how do you get more marketing dollars? Also, how do you defend the ones that you have? Oftentimes I've found like the, the CEOs that don't get marketing don't understand how expensive marketing is. I don't know about you all, like it seems like the price of everything has jumped in marketing like twofold over the last two years. Booth costs at Black Hat are insane. I'm sure there's a similar correlation at the developer conferences. So it's like, yeah, it's really easy to say, why don't we do more for developers? It's really expensive to go after more than one um, effectively, right? So this is why it matters. And so to kind of have this in your kind of back pocket when, you know, people like your, your VPs, your leadership teams are, are kind of saying, oh, we should do this. Um, will really help you kind of quickly get that credibility because you kind of get ahead of them a little bit. 
Also, I find it helps you get invited to meetings a little bit more earlier on, which then kind of you can give that input. To me, it's like uh, a good thing to have. It helps kind of inform again, like what uh, kind of product or technical differentiation should I care about? What kind of marketing differentiation should I care about? Where are we trying to go? So on that note, I will uh, <coughs> talk about my new matrix. This is my second one of the day. This is two out of three. I know you're excited about the matrices. So what's going on here? So it's completely different um, columns, right? So this is just a made-up example. This isn't ping or cybersecurity, but like you have companies like this, and I'll just kind of put some attributes that maybe I'll look at that aren't that hard to get to at least give you a sense of, let's put it this way, who even cares that you exist if you're a startup? And then if you're a big company, who should you just like deprioritize and not worry about, right? So here we have vendor A, um, $250 million in annual recurring revenue, half the size of vendor B, and vendor C is like super tiny compared to them. Right, the growth rates are completely different. I made up a I don't know what the math is, I don't remember. I think it was a billion dollar market. No, it's not a billion, 10 billion dollar market. Um, so you kind of see what market share is, and I'll kind of explain that in a second. And then funding so funding matters for a few different reasons because there's some kind of core behaviors that, uh, for those of you who don't know what PE and VC is, PE is private equity, VC is venture capital, and they behave very differently. Um, this one's close to home to me because so I was at Ping Identity. Um, for those of you that don't know, Ping Identity was uh, owned by Vista Equity. So it's one of the biggest kind of software uh, private equity companies on the planet. I think they have like $24 billion in revenue if you actually took all of their portfolio and put it together. I think Ping at the time was like, I don't know, $100, $200 million ARR. We're competing against Okta, or we started to compete against Okta at some point when they grew up market. Um, why were they growing up market? Because they're a venture capital backed by Sequoia. For those of you who don't know, Sequoia is like the biggest brand in venture capital. <laughs> you think about all the companies that you know, the Googles, the Facebook, there's always Sequoia dollars there. So you say, hey, why does that matter? It's because I don't have to guess. I know that Okta has one path and that's like out of orbit. So they're going to get bigger and hungrier and bigger and hungrier. Ping on the other side, backed by Vista. Um, so I was wrong about this, but going in, it's like, well, Vista might flip the company in two years. So it's more like it's a more shorter term um, play. And so that stuff all filters down into marketing and the different roles, but you just kind of know like you're playing different games. There's a, there's a concept called rule of 40 in SaaS that some of you might be familiar with, some of you might not, but essentially it's just how you're growing, that you could grow 40% year over year with no profitability, and that's good. You could grow 20% year over year with 20% profitability, and that still adds up to 40, so you're still good, right? So why does this matter? It matters because Okta is one of those companies that are going like gangbusters, not profitable at all. Whereas Ping, um, by design from our kind of financiers, had to maintain 20% profitability. So this kind of then matters on budgets and what you can do. So as Okta is getting bigger and bigger and starting encroaching on our enterprise space, like Global 2000 companies, um, we had to get more focused on persona and segment and just sharper, right? Because we didn't have the same amount of money to spend as Octa spent. So for example, this is where creativity comes in, right? You just know the game that you're playing. Octa got Obama to speak at their conference like a few years ago. Uh, so super expensive. Um, we didn't have that kind of money. We, so we kind of think we got like Steve Wozniak, someone that's like cool, but like for our persona, but like a lot cheaper. I don't know what kind of money Axonius has. They got Simone Biles, right? So it, it just depends. That said, there's a lot of vendors in the space that were these startups that Ping and Octa just frankly didn't care about. It was too small.
because what this means when you do the math here, so there's vendor B, so they're 50 mil, 500 million in ARR, they, they have to grow 30% next year, that's what they wanna do. So that creates like 100 million new dollars they need to figure out. So then you could do kind of the pipeline math, see how much marketing's responsible for, for figuring out. I found this goes to tactics because what happens is you really start only caring about the stuff that really brings in a whole lot of activity. And you don't have the time to care about all these little things that, yeah, they're important, they just don't have enough. It's like, what good is 10 leads if I need 1,000 leads? Like, it's a different game. It's kind of cool though, because if you are the startup, and I know there's some startup folks here, what that means is you definitely want to look for the places that are like too small to matter to your big competitors, but meaningful to you, right? So in my new, in my new space, um, you know, I started, we had no website, <laughs> zero, zero inbound traffic. Like, let's do some SEO strategy. And it's like, well, are we going to go and win like ranking number one for application security? Cause that's the category we're in like, you know, 50,000 searches a month. It's like, well, that would be awesome, but how are we gonna do that when Sneak is competing and all these other vendors are competing with way, 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 way more money than we have, right? I was like, you know what, if we tone that down a whole lot, there's uh, some keywords that we care about, DevSecOps, which some of you might have heard of, software supply chain security. These are only like a thousand sessions a month kind of forecasted traffic. They mean a whole lot to us. They don't mean a whole lot to, to other folks that are bigger than us. So this relates to the marketing stuff I was talking about earlier, just to kind of help pick what makes sense for you. The, the last thing here is there is like a huge tendency to just fixate on the actual companies you're competing with, but the two competitors that, that always show up for everybody um, in the technology space are non-consumption, like they're just not doing anything about the problem, they're not buying something, but you think they should, and that they're doing it themselves, right? So like I said, in the customer identity and access management space, Last time I did an analysis a few years ago, it was like a three-horse race between Okta, Ping, and Auth0. Why does that matter? Well, for those of you that might not know, Okta bought Auth0. <laughs> so now they gave them market share power. So that sucked for me. It's like the bane of my existence. They just, you know, did that. Um, if you're keeping up with it, though, so a company called Toma Bravo bought Ping. They also bought a company called Fordrock, which we used to compete with. And they also own a company called SailPoint. And now all of a sudden, if I'm Okta slash Auth0, I'm kind of worried about what's brewing over there in the private equity world because there's probably going to be some big merger I got to worry about. Like, it's not going to be an uncontested race for this kind of enterprise identity. And so this is what I mean when I say, like, it kind of gets you in the right rooms, have the right conversations to figure out what are you going to do about it while there's still time on your side, <laughs> as opposed to, oh, we're losing too many deals to so-and-so. Like, think of that as like a lagging indicator, right? You can, you can predict a little bit. Um, but again, in that customer identity and access space, while everyone's fighting it out amongst themselves for dollars, the far majority of the world wasn't spending any money. They were just using free tools or building it themselves on the development side for this stuff like registration and so on. So you can just kind of like focus on that as your competitor. That means certain things. It means how you're messaging, right? Your competitive messaging, like that sort of thing. All right, everyone, if you're looking to generate quality cybersecurity leads and opportunity pipeline for your sales team, webinars are the channel you need to be leveraging. Lead Gen webinars bring you real live audiences in your target ICP with engagement you can measure, something other channels just can't match. Actual Tech, an official lead generation partner of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, specializes in fully turnkey cybersecurity webinar programs with CPLs far below what you're used to. 
Everyone, I have spent a lot of money on webinars and lead generation in the past. And I got to say, I was really impressed with Actual Tech. I saw the results of those webinars that they've been running for cybersecurity audiences, and I was impressed with the lead quality and the lead quantity. So visit actualtechmedia.com backslash CMS or hit today's show notes for more information. I'm going to go to the next slide, last one. Any questions on the business competitive so far? Yeah. Market share. Oh, good question. Okay, so market. So the question is market share. How do you accurately calculate that? Accuracy is going to always be like with a grain of salt. I'll tell you how I calculate it here, and just how in theory you kind of figure out like how the model works, and you can you can do the math. So one is how much money do you make, and how much money do your competitors make, right? So this is super easy when you're all publicly traded. You can literally look up these numbers, right? You could even predict them because they tell Wall Street how much money they think they're going to make. So you can even kind of forecast where they'll go. So that's like kind of the key number. That's the easiest to have most tangibly. The other is you need to know how big is the market. Um, so this is the one that's very subjective. There's different ways you could do it. So there's like a bottoms up. You can say, how do I say it this way? Uh, simply put, if I sold a widget for $100 and there was a 1,000 buyers for that widget, but no more, that market size, the total market size is a thousand times 100. The price I'm selling by how much are out there. So that market size is $100,000. So I say, okay, how much have I sold? Well, I've sold $20,000 of it. That's where we are right now. It's like, I've got 20% of that market. So what you see in these earnings calls is essentially everybody wants to inflate their market size. <laughs> um, and when I say like market share is different, so if I took the earnings call from paying, so this is like the, you know, SEC, like with, with SEC guardrails, the Ping Finance team sized the market a certain way. Uh, I think maybe like, like 20 billion or something like that. Um, and that's what you heard on a Ping earnings call, size of the market. If you went to an Okta earnings call, they felt that the market was like 50 billion. This is years ago, last time I, I checked, right? So what I do is outside of the earnings calls, there's also a lot of analysts that size markets. Like if you ever Google search, um, there's an acronym C-A-G-R, uh, it's, it's pronounced CAGR, it's Compound Annual Growth Rate. If you ever search like a market, like application security CAGR, you'll get a lot of reports from like markets and markets and all these little analyst firms that say how fast something's growing. And they all kind of say, hey, we think the total market size is this. If you actually have the luxury of having a relationship with like Gartner, Forrester, IDC comes in here, they usually do better on the business data side. They'll tell you what they think. So like if I have to actually size the market, for me, my style is like, well, let's go see what everybody's saying and then average it and then kind of apply common sense to it. Like, where are they getting it? And so that's why I say like the accuracy is kind of hard. But once you have like the market size, you know how much money you're making, you know kind of where the competitive portion is. And the reason it matters when I say non-conception or people not buying, to me, all of these companies should be focused on like, look, if it's only three vendors and they cumulatively have less than 10% of the market, it means there's 90% of market out there that is not focused on me fighting you for food. And so it's really easy, I don't know if it's just CEO egos or like, you know, competitive nature or what it is to like fight over that when you just, you know, walk to the other room and just kind of take all the... I guess all the other money on the table. <laughs> so we're all in like, I think, I don't know if we all are, but since most of the folks here are in like a technology company, uh, I'd say like, hey, a lot of our market sizes are like very lowly penetrated when you think about it. 
And if you look at like the uh, Gartner hype cycle, for example, they'll even tell you like, hey, this technology is like, we think it's like five to 10% market penetration. All right, so we'll- How are you typically finding the ARR and ARR growth on a private company? Ah, uh, good question. Okay, so if you're not publicly traded, what can you do? So it's harder. To me, the easiest cheat code way is just go on LinkedIn. It, it's, it, it works for software, it doesn't really work for other companies. Go on LinkedIn and see how many employees they have. And essentially you just multiply it by like, there, there's certain like benchmarks. Like I think today it's like you just say, hey, it's a hundred person company, how much AR might they have? Well, for, for purposes here, I'm gonna multiply it by $100,000 per employee. And just kind of to get a revenue number. So that's kind of one way, you just kind of like, you make some assumptions and you tie it to like the number of employees they have. And I found that's like the best, easiest way to do it. For growth, again, same thing. If you actually have like the, whatever the LinkedIn is that you pay for, they show you insights so you can see trends. You kind of see roughly how fast that they're growing headcount. It's a proxy, it's not perfect. These are just like, uh, take like the company I'm at right now, kind of, we're 70 people, but we raised a big series A, right? So as you get smaller, it breaks down. On the other side, <laughs> Uh, don't forget the power of people. So it's amazing what you find out when you reach out to ex-employees and want to ask them questions and they're super knowledgeable, especially if they don't like who, whoever they work for, <laughs> right? So maybe it's, non maybe it's a non-compete violation, maybe it's not, but there are ways to figure that, that stuff out just from like conversations, right? So I found, I found that as well. Yeah, so I hope that helps like a couple kind of tips. It's a harder one to figure out and it's definitely a harder game to play like when you're smaller and when they're private. The last one I'll mention is sometimes when a company does a raise, a raise event, it's like a raise series C, raise series B, raise whatever, there was an acquisition, the, the valuation will actually be disclosed or the amount of revenue, or at least the claim. Not always, but sometimes you could use that to figure something out. Um, at least what was like, it, it's better than just completely guessing. I think we got a little bit of time left. So like I said, I'm gonna, breeze through the technical one kind of give you some like salient points that i think but again because this is the one i think like everyone's always been so focused on historically i just assumed that it was the least interesting to everybody but uh basically just understanding how your product is technically different than your competitor's product to me marketing shouldn't lead this um, as a product marketer i think oftentimes because the product marketing team is usually the one creating the battle cards they assume that product marketing should actually be in charge of the competitive matrix so I've seen this, I've seen it work when there's like a technical product marketer on the team. I don't think product marketing or marketing should own it. I think you should be a contributor. Like I think it's a trap. <laughs> so, so why do I say that? Marketing to me is best use, best use of time is focusing on the value that you're offering to your target persona. In cybersecurity specifically, your buyer is often the CISO <laughs> or the lead of the team. You kind of heard whoever was in the middle of the CISO panel. It's like, hey, if my, if my team really likes it, that'll convince me to sign off on it. So as a marketer, we really care about her and not the other people. <laughs> that said, the product team, the product managers, the UX people, the solutions architects or solutions engineers or sales engineers, whatever you call them at your organization, I hear, I hear all the names. They're in the day-to-day -day of like, how does the thing actually work? They're the ones that are like, in pain when it's a hard to use product, a hard to integrate product, as are the actual like users in the enterprise. And this one's a little bit, uh, I guess, subtle because it depends a little bit on your go-to-market. With these kind of product-led growth, <laughs> with the product-led growth stuff out there, kind of flipping that on the head is like, let's get buy-in from the users. So at that point it matters more. But a lot of it is just enterprise sales um, and cybersecurity still to like 
big companies first before it goes down market. To me, there's just no way that a good marketing team has the time to play with the product. And if you can't play with the product as much, I'm saying as much as the product manager are building the features, the customer success managers that are like working with folks that are actually using it, the sales engineers that are selling it day to day and doing proofs of concepts, and then UX designers who are actually designing it. And so the other thing is, if marketing owned it, what I've seen happen is that you really want the person designing the user experience to understand the competitive like differentiation between what you're doing and what someone else is doing. And they want them to be at that level. So to me, that's a like something I'm pretty opinionated about of like let them own the competitive matrix and be knowledgeable of it. Where I found absolutely marketing and product marketing especially needs to step in is extracting like why does anyone care about those differences? Also, in cybersecurity specifically, like there's no shortcut. Like you also have to understand the key differences that matter. And that's just kind of like, you know, there's stuff that's way in the weeds that no one really cares about, and there's stuff that's categorically like you need to know at this level of depth. And to me, competitive differentiation helps you understand like what's more important. Also, I think marketing should be a big input. So whoever does like analyst relations and talks to Gardner, so they have uh, you know magic quadrants like, hey, you're not a winner because you're missing these features. <laughs> Funnel that back into the product team, right? So so again, it's it's thoughtful opinions is the way I phrase it, as opposed to just opinions. Why don't we have X or Y? I'll I'll wrap up here though. We kind of say like the other thing is figuring out which features matter the most. You can't build everything for everyone. So I say, hey, I, the question I like to ask is, is this Who's winning in this space between vendor A, B, and C? It's like, I have no idea because I have no idea who cares about what features. If I was vendor C and feature four was the most important feature to the, to the market I'm going after, I am very frustrated right now. And on the marketing side, the thing that you could do by understanding the competitive matrices is you know kind of where to apply pressure to, to your product teams and what you can maybe do on a marketing front. So for example, um, again, when I was at Ping, we're kind of caught between like traditional on-premises software and then uh, uh, SaaS, just like cloud-hosted, right? So it's a big feature that we were missing that we're doing. You don't have to have the functionality built in to build a campaign and message around it. You could front-load it, but you need a collaboration between like decoupling the actual release of the product, the launch of the product, and the announcement of the product. And so you can kind of get into those details if you understand like where those gaps are. Like maybe it's just that urgent. Um, you don't have to wait for everything. And then, you know, there, there's some cool, cool features that are really worth running campaigns over. Not all features are like that. All right, so I think we're out of time, so I'll, I'll wrap up here. So thanks for, for listening. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just go to my name. It'll redirect you, so alexbar.com. Um, catch me at the event. I'm here till like, Friday afternoon if you want to chat more on this stuff. Again, we covered competitive, marketing, business, technical. Kind of filters out to everybody. Like, to me, it's a team sport. So just remember that. And then uh, I guess last word of wisdom is, like I said, um, if you're ever in doubt, put it in a matrix and present it, and then people seem to think you know what you're talking about internally. Uh, I was being facetious there, but yeah, if we have <laughs> we if we have time for one or two questions, maybe we could take it. But it sounds like there's a lot of stuff going on outside, so I'll leave it to the room manager if we have one. I have yeah. a really quick one. How big is your company? And how many marketers? Uh, which one? The one I'm at currently? Yeah. Currently. Oh, so, so currently I'm at Legit Security. I think we're like 75 or so right now. We're a team. We just had one join. Five. I've talked to folks at like 100-person uh, companies that <laughs> have less. I've talked to 
folks that have a lot more. And so, um, by the way, another kind of really cool competitive analysis to do when someone says, why aren't you better at social? And then you go look and LinkedIn is like, well, they've got a team of three social marketers on their team and we've got zero. So why do you think? So again, like just think about competitive intelligence more than just the feature function. I think in marketing too, there's a lot of stuff that you could take away and kind of add value to the company. All right, cool. Thanks everyone. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast. I want to say again that we want to see you in Austin, Texas, December 10th through 13th. We are going to have the best time. And if you're having trouble getting approval or asking for approval, check out the letter on our website, cybermarketingconference.com. We have a template because of course we do. We're marketers. And you can use that to request to attend Cyber Marketing Con 2023 from your boss. As always, leave us five stars. And if you have any questions, send a note to podcast at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com. Thanks, and I'll see you soon.